Are we, are we live? Oh, we're live. We're live now. Hey, this is Kurt Trout and uh, Nate Quarry with Round by Round Podcast. Uh, joining us once again is Kyle Kingsbury, and that thumping that you hear, if you can't see it, is him burping Bear Soul Kingsbury, his little boy. Welcome, Kyle. Welcome, Nate. Welcome. Welcome, Bear. Welcome to your first introduction to the world. You're famous. He is a famous little feller. Oh, my God. He's a cutie. So both you guys were in Las Vegas uh, last week, right? That is yep. correct. And yes, you guys were there for the uh, – there was a, uh, a, a motion to dismiss the lawsuit against the UFC, correct? I went for the court case. I stayed for the strippers. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> Are you covered so in stripper dust? So victories around the house. I have some <laughs> glitter on me still. It's been a week. That's yeah, hard to get off. So <laughs> the, the, the glitter <laughs> that is. <laughs> Just the glitter. Just the glitter. Uh, All right, so Nate, do you want to catch us up with what was taking place? So were there two motions in front of the judge or three or what? So basically, uh, starting from day one, the UFC had filed to move the court case from San Jose to Las Vegas in their backyard. They won that. So our first court appearance in Las Vegas was they filed suit to completely dismiss the lawsuit, say this is frivolous, big waste of time, and as the, the Zufa lawyer said over and over again, it's going to be very expensive and we can't have that. So we're supposed to start at 3 p.m. I got started at 4 p.m., just a little bit of a delay. But from the word go, the uh, presiding judge really seemed to understand the court case. He had read the briefs. Thoroughly, he brought up things that the lawyers didn't bring up, and I had asked our lawyer uh, right before the, the trial started, are we going to get an answer today? Is it going to take a while? And being lawyers, they gave me the answer of maybe, uh, but it came down to, at about an hour and a half later, the judge just said, cool, give me, give me 10 minutes, I'll be right back in with my judgment. Comes back in 10 minutes later, says... This suit has merit. I'm going to allow you to progress. Our lawyers then stood up and said, uh, Zufa has been resisting giving us full access to the documents we need to proceed with the trial. The judge said, that all goes away now. You get full access to everything you need. And does does that include deleted tweets and posts and stuff like that? Yes, it does. And so uh, when we originally filed the suit, Dana or his team went back through Dana's Twitter account and deleted thousands of his tweets. And they've been systematically doing that across social media with, with various things that have been said and done by Zufa and their employees. So we have gone to whoever it is that owns Twitter and, and YouTube and all that to make sure that we still get access to those things. I think now, those are owned by uh, Shinehart Wigs. Uh, so now two days ago... We had another appearance in Vegas. Uh, I wasn't there. Kyle, were you there for this one? I, I don't think No, I didn't, I didn't go back for this one. So Zufa had filed to remove Rob Macy from the case specifically to prevent him from seeing all the documents that we now have the right to see, stating that Rob Macy was uh, trying to become a direct competitor of the UFC, start his own MMA organization. So they wanted to make sure that he didn't have access to their confidential files 
so he wouldn't be able to start his own MMA organization. Just a completely ludicrous thing to, to even attempt to say. It just blows me away, the stuff you can get away with in court if you're a lawyer. Is um, Macy affiliated with any other uh, MMA organization? No, not at all. The way that Rob Macy got involved with this from the beginning was he was just training. And then realizing how poorly the fighters were being treated as he was going through law school, he told the lawyers that he was working with, once I've had Sabar, this should be our first lawsuit. And so that's how it went down. Rob has been very supportive of forming the MMA Fighters Association. He's very passionate about it. So that would be his only connection to something outside of this lawsuit. He is not uh, in charge of the Fighters Association. He is not in any way, shape, or form the president, the leader of it, anything like that. He's more of an advisor and a facilitator and trying to help us get this set up. But to say that he is going to start his own fighting organization is just ridiculous, and it just shows that Zufa is trying anything they can to disrupt the lawsuit, throw a wrench in it, and it's pretty blatant what they're doing, and the judge is going to have none of it. Nice. So what's the next step now? Kyle, you want to answer that, or you want me to keep going? You keep going. You got the, you got the, you got the info here. Uh, basically, now this is the start of the long sludge. Sludge? Trudge? Sure, it's, it's a word. Trek. 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 Yeah, trudge. I like that. It's a long trudge. <laughs> trench. Sludge We're deep trudge. in the trenches. <laughs> so this starts what could potentially be several years of discovery and court appearances and the lawsuit. So now our legal team is going to be preparing their entire fight, their their battle, with getting all of this information and now proving that uh, Zufa has monopolized the market. So it's just now really the start of the entire fight. The judges said, yes, you have the right to, to fight this in court. We believe that this is an issue. Yes, you get full discovery of everything that Zufa has and has done. Do your thing. That's where we're at. So yeah, it, yeah, it's... I was Go just going to jump in real quick. I think for a lot of people that are asking about the lawsuit, and I mean, obviously, um, there's a fair amount of knuckleheads that are swinging from Uncle Dana's balls. Uh, you know, like like just like you compare it to any other uh, lawsuit in the past, where the players, you know, want to go up against the owners, and everyone's siding with the billionaires rather than the players. Uh, I've certainly taken some heat. I know every guy that's involved with the case has taken some flack from some of the uh, less informed fans, but. Um, Really, the reason this is such a massive, massive deal in in uh, the case that we were at is that this allows the whole thing to happen. I mean, basically, with with and that also, uh, there, you know, these things could have taken a lot longer than they did. So, not that it, um, you know, there. I don't know if it's foreshadowing of anything to come, but the judge knew our case. He knew it better than most cases. Uh, he made his decision very quickly. And it felt, you know, I and mean, you can read on Bloody Elbow and some of the articles, the general consensus when, when I got there with the guys was kind of like, man, I have no idea how this is going to go. They just moved it to Vegas. And um, I think within the first minute or two, everyone, you know, me, Kung Lee, and Nate all kind of had just a, a settling down, a kind of a feeling like, hey, this guy knows uh, what's going on here. He was definitely... Um, really pushing the Zufa lawyers to come with some concrete stuff on why they wanted to dismiss, and he wasn't really having any of it. So the big deal now is that everything can happen, and we have full disclosure, 
from them. Obviously, there's uh, deleted documents and things like that, and that was something that Nate had brought up in the cars we were heading to the airport was, you know, what if these guys delete their emails and do things like that before discovery happens? And the beauty of the Internet is that all this stuff is there. It's You could delete stuff, but it's still there. Even on your hard drive, you can delete it, but it's still there. So um, I think with the companies that they use for these kind of things, they're going to be able to dig through and find all that stuff. And if they get caught doing anything like that, then that's uh, a pretty massive penalty. So... And, and a giant red flag when it comes to determining, uh, you know, how they play in court. And so these things are just, all these things are for us. They're, they're a massive thing that just allows us to get the train going. And it could be three years. It could be seven years. Who knows? But, but uh, now we get to play, and that's the biggest, that's the biggest deal. Yeah, I got to agree with you there, Kyle, that uh, we do get the occasional people that, are bad-mouthing us or trashing us. It doesn't really bother me, but it's just, it's more amusing to me than anything that they don't understand. We're just laborers. We're just, we're blue-collar workers working for these billionaires, and every sport has had to go through this. Every working environment has had to go through this. Anybody can go to their job and know they have basic rights, a 40-hour work week. There's safety eggs. It's all these things were fought for, hundred years ago to give the workers rights. So this is just the normal progression of, of any new industry. And to have the judge just come right out and say, yeah, this is legitimate. You have a right to this court case. Just immediately kind of takes the weight off of myself, off of Kyle, off of Kung. And we can say, well, you may not think it, you uninformed person. You may not think that we have the rights to this court case, but the judge does the guy who professionally sits there and judges things and people for a living thinks that we have a court case here. That, that was very nice to hear. So did your lawyer say, um, you know, what will the Zufa lawyers more than likely do next? Or did they tell you, like, hey, guess what? Now things are going to be really dead and quiet for the next nine months. Um, what did they say to you after the, after the case? Uh, not much. It, right now, it's just going to be them getting together, getting all the information together, all the fact-finding. Uh, as far as I know, we don't have another court date really set right now. It's just going to be everybody doing their preparation. And like I said, this is a court case that could go on for several years. So we're just prepared for the, the long trek. you got to be in for the long trek. Yeah, they're gonna. it's going to take a while to gather all the information for Discovery, to, to have all the hard drives mirrored, the cell phones, that kind of stuff, emails. And then they'll sift through that, and they'll find things that they they uh, they find or deem uh, uh, necessary as good evidence for the case to support their arguments. They'll formulate their arguments and get that going. And and really, that's going to take a very long time. But uh, you know, taking it back in there, I one of the things that I really hit, struck home with me that the judge. Uh, you know, was how he was seeing things when it was going on was the Zufa lawyers kept bringing up antitrust cases like Microsoft and uh, other tech companies and, and these giant corporations and, and trying to use that as like a, hey, you can't determine things. And this is all, I'm not giving away information here. This is all written about uh, on Bloody Elbow as well as uh, a couple other sites. But um, what I found interesting was our lawyers kept bringing up uh, – the boxing case from 1959 that was that was uh, in the U.S. Supreme Court, as well as um, 
the NFL. I mean, every major sport has gone through this already, and they've implemented a, a players association, and they have changed things thanks to the courts finding in favor of the players. So I think that uh, just by the fact that it's an easier draw, you know, certainly with boxing and with other major sports, it's a much easier draw to say this looks a little bit more similar to what these guys are going through than trying to compare us to Microsoft versus uh, Oracle or something like that. So I think just moving forward, you know, for people that are wondering kind of how this goes, it it is a little bit like uh, what you see on TV, you know, where people are going to say, uh, Judge, if you'll reference uh, 1949 case with blah, 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 U.S. Supreme Court, such and such versus whatever, um, those are things, you know, where history has already gone time and time again in favor of the players and the fighters, and I think we're, we're in good company when it comes to that. So then things will be quiet for the next little bit, and uh, hopefully you guys will hear from the lawyers soon about the next step. I think it's going to be a while. Honestly, I think that it'll it'll take a long time with discovery and to, and to find pertinent information, formulate arguments, and then we'll start getting the ball rolling and there could be a number of court appearances and things like that going on uh, with just more things going, you know, and, and uh, I, but I don't, there's nothing in the near future right now as far as I know. Okay. So another interesting thing happened last night, and, and we plan on talking about Nick Diaz here coming up, but uh, last night, Johnny Hendricks was taken to the ER. Um, he, was supposed to, he was supposed to fight this Saturday against Tyron Woodley, um, and it was you know title elimination bout. Chances are the winner of that would get to, to fight for the 170-pound title. Historically, Johnny's always had a problem making weight. Um, you know, the rumors are that you know, he's not as bad as Anthony Johnson in the offseason, but he gets pretty big. And so during this weight cut, you know, there were some problems. He had to go to the ER. But there's also the new imp implementation that uh, um, when you rehydrate after cutting weight, uh, fighters are no longer, for the UFC, are no longer allowed to use IVs. Uh, what did you guys just take on all this? Well, uh, I'll just jump right in here since I'm still rolling. Uh, I think that Johnny Hendricks probably, you know, there's no, I don't know what he could do in terms of, of um, his weight cut leading up to the fight. Obviously, he's one of those guys who is far talented than I, far more talented than I ever was. So I'm, this is no knock against him. But from a physical standpoint, he's got some fat to lose. So from a dieting standpoint, I look at that guy and he's not soft. Don't get me wrong, he's not Roy Nelson. But he could come in with a six pack and have an easier weight cut water wise. That's that's been known for a long time. So I don't. I think that he's probably in his in his mind thinking, you know what? I've done this a hundred thousand times in my wrestling career as a fighter. It's no big deal. And I'm guessing he didn't. Maybe he didn't take it as serious uh, going into the weight cut, and that's why he had problems. Because this is relatively far ahead of of the real grind. Now I know guys like uh, uh, Conor McGregor. They have a twenty five pound weight cut, and he's a little guy, so that's significant. I've cut 25 pounds before, and it was a nightmare. You do that throughout the week. So if he's not on track or if it's getting hard for him uh, by the middle of the week, then I could see why he'd pull out or need to go to the ER early on, especially if there's no light at the end of the tunnel with the IV and the rehydration that way. Um, but I, I do feel like a lot of this has to do with what kind of prep work you do at the beginning of camp. Do you go into camp out of shape and big? Do you go into camp 
shredded and lean and ready to go, and then you fine-tune throughout camp with the diet, and by the end, you're 4 or 5% body fat. I mean, that's something – I mean, Mike Dolce has made a career out of that. Um, that's something that I honed in on throughout my career, and, I, and I, that was actually maybe one of the only things I got right. But um, I feel like he uh, – you know, to, to pull out this early, I think there was some, some bigger problems than just the fact that he couldn't IV after his weight cut. No, there definitely seemed to be something to it, especially if you have to go to the ER the night before you even do your big weight cut, you know, because he would have done that today prior to the weigh-ins. I mean, it speaks to a much, much bigger issue. But he's also said in interviews before um, that, you know, that he's thought about quitting because the cut cut down to 170 is just too much, and he's way too short to really ever be a contender at 185. Uh, so it, it seems to be something in the off season where he just uh, – Lacks the discipline. I, I don't know. I'm not part of his camp. But, I, you know, I think about Cormier and going into renal failure at the Olympics because uh, your body just can't handle this anymore. Yeah. I think the weight cut is really on Johnny, on his camp. And as a professional, former title holder, you need to – you should be professional enough to have this dialed in. I don't think the IVs at this point – would factor in whatsoever into his cut. That being said, I think this whole IV ban is just ridiculous. You're trying to prevent somebody from from cutting too much weight. It's it's closing the barn door after the horse has already left. If you really want to make it safer for fighters, have them do a day of fight weigh-in. You fight well, you, you did that in North Carolina, right? I did, but it was it was different, different from what I'm talking about. In North Carolina, because it was the only state this had ever occurred in, for me, it was it was a ridiculous pain in the ass. And I think it was I could only weigh in either 10 to 12 pounds heavier than I weighed in when I stepped on the scale. So generally, I would go out and rehydrate, eat as much food as I possibly could. The whole night after weigh-ins, I was thinking... Well, how much salt am I taking? I got to be careful about my intake. I woke up the night of the fight. I was two pounds heavy. I had to to cut that day again, but taking a long shower, losing a couple pounds. And they made it clear, if you missed your weight the day of the fight, your fight was done. So it is such a weird set of rules for that. I would say if you want to make it safer for fighters, you want to make sure everybody's in the same weight class because... Why did people cut weight? Why did I fight at 185 when I walk at 205? Because everyone else was cutting weight. If I fought at light heavyweight, my natural weight, I'd be fighting guys 240 pounds. So it just doesn't work like that. So by trying to, to outlaw the symptoms of the whole society that you've created in the first place is just ridiculous. If you want to make it even, you want to make sure everybody is at the same weight, doesn't have to suffer through the weight weight cut as they walk to the cage or as they get to the arena, you weigh them in. Okay, you fight at 170, you weigh under 170. It's really that simple. That would eliminate all of the conditions of weight cutting. And then by putting in more weight classes, you would have guys, once again, fighting at normal weights. And it, it would be so beneficial. Uh, I'd heard the Nevada State Athletic Commission actually took a vote. They were trying to get uh, MMA, the UFC, to have more weight classes. 
I thought it would be safer for guys, and it would be beneficial as well because now there'd be more titles to defend. You'd have more champions. It seems like a win-win for everybody. And Zufa just said, yeah, no, we're not going to do that. We're happy with the system the way it is with our 15-pound, 20-pound, 60-pound weight classes. It just makes no difference. So if you really want to make this simple, day of, you get to the arena three hours before you weigh in. If you are over 206 pounds, you don't fight. Or you go to your, your opponent and you do just like if someone else missed weight. It's really that simple. I don't, I don't understand why it's such a difficulty for people to, to make, it, make it a difficulty. Kyle? No, I, I agree completely. You know, and their their argument is well, if you do like a like the IBJJF, uh, they weigh you in right before. Like pretty much, they have like uh, what is that in baseball where you're on deck, and then before that you're on deck, you're in the batter circle. Is that right? Warming up. So yeah. when you're when you're in the warm up area, well, I don't know. You know a baseball choke, right? He's a Kurtz a black belt in jujitsu. <laughs> He's my jiu-jitsu ace I go to for information. So, anyways, when you're playing patty cake, warming up, and the guy's about to send you on the mat, they make you, they make sure that your uniform is up to code, and they weigh you in right there. It's right before you walk out on the mat. If you think of it that way, <clears throat> there is no rehydration period. There is no, hey, I got to weigh 206 three hours before the fight, and then I can just cram Gatorade and, and – uh, uh, Saltwater enemas, which is the new one, guys. Saltwater enemas up the poop chute. Uh, you got to hold it in for at least 30 minutes to absorb for, for maximal benefit. So, uh, Dolce, you can have all your fighters do that. I know you're going to steal that from me. Um, you might already be hip to the game, actually. But uh, <laughs> who's putting that in? They'll start putting glutamine in there and all sorts of performance-enhancing uh, amino acids and and uh, B12, you know, right up the pooper. But um, anyways. Uh, so, yeah, I don't even know where I'm going with that. I just kept thinking of that, how you lube up the insertion tube and get it in there. Um, the point is, Zufa's argument, or UFC's argument in the past has been, the chance of a fighter getting pulled because he doesn't make weight on the day of the fight is too great. It's too great a risk, right? And obviously, they're all about the money. We see that with the Vitor test, testing positive, and them sweeping it under the rug before John Jones. Um, they don't care. You know, they don't care about fighter safety. They don't care about any of that. They just want the fight to go down. And that's really what it comes down to because if they did care, you know, the risk is just the same. Johnny Hendricks has all week to make weight, and he pulls out of the fight days before the fight because he knows he's not going to make weight and it's, and it's destroying him. That's no different than a guy who doesn't make weight on the day of the fight because they're putting him on the scale right before he goes out there. You're either going to make the weight or you're not going to make the weight. You know you're gonna, you know your body. You have your own digital scale that you can see the week of the fight. You know Before, they used to have uh, Burt Watson there making sure you're on weight. Now, they've, they've, sure they've, after they ran him out of town, they probably pulled in some crony and made a, you know, the, the new Burt uh, to make sure you're on weight. But you, have, you can check that all week long. You know where you're at. All week long, you're working on these things. And if you haven't fought in a long time, if you've got a two-year layoff from a shoulder injury or something like that, you know to do a mock weight cut prior to the fight, maybe prior to the fight camp, just to see how you're going to tolerate it and get your body used to it again. So I think um, there's no real reason other than money to not have them do this on the day of the fight and then totally eliminate any of these rehydration tactics, dramatic weight cuts, and things like that. 
You know, it's funny with the uh, the IBJJF weigh-ins, the International Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu Federation. They have you weigh in, like you said, right before your very first match. Now, when all of this first starts to get implemented, uh, it really kind of depended on what your last name was or what camp you were out of. Now, Kurt Schraub fighting out of, um, you know, New Breed. If I stepped on the scale and I'm over by a pound, that's it. I'm done. But if your last name is Gracie or your camp is Gracie Baja or Alliance, you know, back early on there was that, oh, it's no big deal. It's okay. It's okay. Just go compete. And then people started, the IBJJF really started doing like, nope, nope. If they're over, they're not competing. And you would have three or four top-level guys not make weight um, about four or five years ago. But now, you know, people like, well, Bouchesha is super heavyweight, so he doesn't have to worry about weighing in. But Andre Gaval or Keenan Cornelius, um, they're not going to miss weight because they want to be world champions. And, and I think that the same thing would happen with the UFC. In the beginning, you'd have a lot of people... Uh, miss weight on the scale the day of, but sooner or later people are going to have to realize the ones that want to be there are the ones that are going to make weight and they're going to perform to their best and you're going to get the best fighter uh, and not just some scrub. So I, I think it would be a good idea if they did it. But Well, and they could still have the, the weigh-ins the day before. They could still have the big presentation everything. Just show everybody, yep, he's on weight, he's ready to fight it at 205, he's walking around with that and it would be just another normal day for the fighters. Because you you want the best fights possible. I don't know where weight cutting plays into that, as if that's supposed to be a part of the game and and prove that. When if they easily they made these changes, it'd be so much better for the fighters. The fans would get better fights, and you'd be able to put in more weight classes, so you'd have more championship belts and more interim champs for Zufa to to throw belts at people that they want to be champ. It's win, win, win. 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 So uh, Nick Diaz, on the 14th of September, he was suspended by the Nevada Athletic Commission for five years for a failed drug test. And the drug test is definitely, I want to say, on par with the whole uh, Kung Lee uh, fiasco that happened in Macau. And so just to get everybody up to speed, um, the the test the three tests were administered that night after he fought Anderson Silva at 7:12 p.m. at 10:38 p.m. and at 11:55 p.m. Test one and test three, which were sent to WADA labs, which are World Anti-Doping Agency labs, the, the labs that are used by Olympics, those came back as he was at 40 nanograms per milliliter, which is below the 150 threshold that the Athletic Commission allows. And test three came back at 60 nanograms per milliliter, so st still half of, of, of what's allowed. But test two, which was sent to Quest Diagnostic Labs in New Jersey, uh, not a WADA-approved lab at all, that test came back at 733 nanograms per milliliter. And even um, you know some experts have said in order to have his level that high, Shortly there after the fight, he would have had to have been smoking pot during the fight. And that it's also no way that he could have drank in enough water to dilute his system to get him back down to 60 nanograms, you know, 45 minutes to an hour later. Um, the Athletic Commission ignored the, the two tests from the water labs and went with the Quest lab. Uh, do you think that this is because of 
Nick Diaz, or do you think Athletic Commission, the Nevada Athletic Commission, is trying to send uh, the UFC a message? What do you think is taking place? I think this is now. Call me a conspiracy theorist, but uh, I think that the Nevada State Athletic Commission is in the UFC's back pocket, and that they both don't like the Nick Diaz uh, antics over the years with. Uh, with as far as the commission, failing tests, saying he's going to continue to smoke pot, saying he has a medical license, and, and that he doesn't give a shit what they say. Uh, and then from the UFC standpoint, literally telling them, go F off, I'm not showing up for interviews, I'm not doing media day, I'm not going to be like everyone else and do whatever you want me to do. I love the fact that he's willing to take a stand and do these things. Um, and I think really what you have here because you would have heard way more support from the UFC if this was a real, if they really cared about Nick Diaz, you know, there there would have been a big deal. Other than like, hey, we, you know, we can't do anything about it, you know, not like, oh no, we work hand in hand with these guys, we hired their head guy and brought him into our company, we we take them with us when we travel overseas to Japan and other countries that don't have an athletic commission, they bring the Nevada State Athletic Commission guys on the UFC's dime. So, you know, to act like they're not, you know, uh, in bed together is a complete joke. And when you look at it, Anderson Silva getting uh, however long, nine months, I think a suspension was for uh, a known performance-enhancing steroid versus a uh, five-year suspension for a non-performance-enhancing drug that really shouldn't even be tested for. I don't mind the fact that they uh, are testing for it to make sure guys aren't fighting stoned. You know, they change the limits, so hey... You can't get high and go out and fight. That's fine, but to act like uh, to act like it's going to be some type of performance enhancing drug, and you really need to bring the hammer down now on this guy so we can make a, a point of him to let everyone know you don't mess with us. Five years in a, in a guy's prime, you know, you're just you're you're railroading his career. It's no different than the Kung Lee thing. And to bring it full circle, Kung Lee's second test, the 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 B sample was never found or lost or, you know, mysteriously uh, disappeared. And Nick Diaz's second sample, the urine sample, the B, was never tested as well. So you have, uh, you know, uh, some fuckery going on that's as plain as day. And nobody's really diving into that. I mean, well, the people that know are diving into it. But when it comes to the State Athletic Commission, um, I think uh, uh, their, their governor's office had been written about it. And then they responded with, well, the governor is, a well, is aware of the situation and follows uh, what goes on in these dealings, but whoever we appoint into these positions, uh, we, we leave the authority in their hands. In their hands. We don't second-guess uh, the rulings they make. So basically saying, like, yeah, we know what's going on here, but you know, whoever we appoint into these positions, we trust their, their judgment. We don't second-guess what they say. So uh, quit asking us, ask the state commission what, what they're going to do about it. Well, the UFC, as of, as of today, hasn't uh, released an official statement about the uh, the outcome of it. But they have said that they're going to uh, get some lawyers to help represent Nick for the appeal process. Um, so, do you do you really honestly believe? Do you Nate believe that if if the UFC wanted um, Nick to be able to fight, that that they can influence the athletic commission to? Uh, to overturn it, a hundred percent. I think it really is. It's 
they're coming down because it's Nick Diaz. Uh, was Dana White there at the court proceedings? Did he make an appearance to show support for his fighter of getting railroaded? I don't think so. But and he was yet, at John Jones. And yet he was at John Jones where John Jones uh, it, it did a hit and run against a pregnant woman. Came back to his car for, for what, money and drugs or something like this and ran off? And so they'll go to court for John Jones because they see him as a cash cow. They see him as somebody that will play the game, that will do the interviews, say the things they want him to say, all that kind of stuff. And Nick has always been a rebel. He looks at it as, this is my career. You're just the man. And, and he realizes what all young fighters should realize coming up. Promoters only care about money. That's it. They only care about the show. They don't. They don't care if you win or lose. And you can see that. Uh, I think the prime example was, for, in my mind, when when uh, Vanderlei Silva came to the UFC. They did this huge hour-long special about Vanderlei's fight against Chuck Liddell, and it and it was supposed to, it wasn't supposed to be an introduction of Vanderlei Silva. It was just their usual promotion of the upcoming fight. About 50 minutes of the hour was all about Vanderlei Silva, and 10 minutes was Chuck Liddell because Chuck was past his prime. They were looking to find a new superstar to replace him. And I'm watching this thinking, good God, Chuck is one of supposedly one of Dana's closest friends and has been a phenomenal champion, one of the most popular fighters of all time. And they're doing absolutely nothing to promote him or to show him, give him a chance in this fight because they think he's just going to lose. And then Chuck won the fight. For a promoter, it's always business. And as, as I tell upcoming fighters, you have to fight for the love of fighting, but you have to treat it like a business because if you don't, you're gonna, your career is going to be over and you're going to be broken, broken. You have to look at it like a business. But, you know, Nick Diaz has a huge draw. He's one of those guys that, you know, he typically fights at 170. He fought Anderson at 185, and it was his first fight in, what, like a year and a half, maybe even two years. Almost the same amount of time for Anderson. And Nick is one of those those guys that even the hardcore fans, if if somebody said that, hey, Nick's gonna fight um, Cormier at 205, people are gonna want to watch that because in order to beat Nick Diaz, man, you've got to come heavy because he just doesn't quit. He keeps moving forward. Doesn't matter how banged up he is. It's a great fight. Yes, he doesn't do any of the promotion, any of the the. Uh, oh, I love UFC. You know, he does what he needs to do in order to be the best fighter possible. And I think that shows in his fights and it shows in the pay-per-view buys. The Anderson Silva fight was close to 700,000 pay-per-view buys. Now, granted, that was probably because it was, you know, a lot of it was Anderson Silva. But if Anderson Silva had fought, you know, any other 185-er, especially somebody like in the top, top 15, top 10 to top 15, I don't think those buys would have been as strong. I think it was because it was Nick Diaz. Yeah, but, but Zufa has their formula for who they want as their fighters. And number one, they have to, to carry the Zufa flag, the UFC flag, and everything they do. They have to play the game. And you look at any fighter that doesn't do that, that doesn't openly scream how wonderful Zufa is and how great the UFC is, they don't promote him at all. Look at... Uh, uh, who's the, the current 185 champion? Uh, Weidman. Weidman, yeah. Incredibly dominant fighter. The guy's incredible. They give him no love whatsoever. They gave so much more promotion to Conor McGregor than they ever did Weidman before he was a champion. 
because he's out there screaming about how great the UFC is and being a loudmouth about how bad he's going to beat his, his opponents. To be successful in the UFC, you have to talk trash. It's just that simple. You have to toe the company line. You have to talk trash. Go out there and fight to the death and be respectful of your opponent. They don't know how to market that. They don't know how to, to use that to their benefit. So you're completely on your own. And then they'll just look to replace you as soon as they possibly can. Have you guys seen the uh, poster for the Conor McGregor, uh, Jose Aldo? No. It's clear who they want to win that fight. You should, you should ch find, find that poster. It is absolutely amazing. Jose Aldo doesn't even need to be on it. They've got Conor McGregor, his arms spread wide open like he's an angel descending upon the earth. Now, I find Conor McGregor entertaining as all hell. I think his skill set as a fighter is, is really, and I'm going to get flack, is, is subpar, but he's entertaining. And so he's going to create a draw because of it. But yeah, go, go look at that poster. It's incredible. I'm looking. I'm looking. Well, you don't have to do it now. We're kind of in the middle of something, Nathan. No, I'm going to hold it up. I, I want everyone to see. Do you know what Nate's doing right now? He's reserving his tickets for Dragon Con. <laughs> <laughs> He's planning his... Uh, actually, you have to talk. There it is. Can you see that? Yeah, Nate, you got to talk. Versus Jose Aldo. And yes, you can see that. That does not look at all like... Uh, who is the t who is the champion in this photo? It's pretty clear. That's ridiculous. It, it reminds me of when uh, shoot, uh, it's kind of escaping me. There's been other challengers challengers fighting champions, and you can see who the UFC wanted to be the champion. It, it happened with Couture many times, and I cornered Randy for a lot of his fights, and he was always the guy that they wanted to lose because they saw his style as as boring. How could anybody relate to this old guy? And then he just kept on winning. It, it was hilarious to see the, the mechanism being broken down. Here's the uh, the poster that I found, which is a little bit a uh, little bit different than that one, which I thought was just as awesome. Hold on, I'm pulling. Oh, this one. is an old one, is what I looked up. My bad. It's oh, is from that from the first fight? Yeah. All right, hold on. The current one is just the Irish flag. <laughs> <laughs> that would be so awesome. McGregor wins again. <laughs> All right, hold on. Here we go. So this is what it looks like now. Let me put it up in front of there. So he's just arms embracing, you know, just ready to take it. But at least it has Aldo with the belt, and it doesn't have McGregor. Or does he have one below? Yeah, I don't know. But Is he wearing the belt on his waist? Yeah, he is. Jeez. Yeah. Let let the sport be sport. Let, let the best fighter rise to the top. Give it, and that's that's a big part of, of what the MMA Fighters Association will do. It will put the power back into the fighters' hands. It will keep promoters from investing, having a financial interest in the fighters that they want to be a champion. Because I'm guessing, Kyle, if I all of a sudden said, hey, buddy, I'm going to pay you $10 million to go back into the UFC. I'm going to pay for everything you could possibly want because I want you to be a world champion. Would that influence you? Would that make your career go a little bit easier? I'm on the comeback trail right now. <laughs> <laughs> so, so what are Nick's options now? Um, you know, so Tom Brady was able to sue the NFL in a circuit court to get his NFL suspension overturned. 
Um, now, granted, he's got uh, you know a players' union, players' association. He's got other people working for him, but he was effective in taking it to court to get it to get the the uh, decision reversed. Well, I'll just say this: here's a, a a bit of advice. Either make sure it's in a federal court, a federal case, to where they don't go to. Uh, you know, he's got. I don't know where Ken Shamrock got railroading and these other guys. They kept losing because they had to go against the UFC in state. Um, obviously, when you're going against Nevada uh, State Athletic Commission, it could be a local thing where you got to go to Nevada and do that. Um, I think he has the, the chance at making it a federal deal because it's supposed to work like this, and this is the big thing. A lot of people are talking like, well, why don't you just go fight in California or go fight in these other organizations? Each athletic commission is supposed to follow suit if they work hand-in-hand hand with other athletic commissions. So generally, and, and this is certainly true with California and Nevada, although they've had different uh, testing protocols for testosterone and things like that in the past, if somebody's banned in California, Nevada will honor it. If somebody's banned in Nevada, California will honor it. And there's a lot of other states that, that play into that. That could make it a federal case in which you wouldn't have to worry about uh, going uh, up against, you know, Guys that are kind of in the, in the back pocket with the with the Nevada State Athletic Commission. If he had to keep it local, then I would say maybe you you do uh, take uh, Uncle Dana's offer on using the Zufa lawyers because I'm sure they have just as much pull. Um, I just don't believe that either the UFC or Nevada State Athletic Commission has any of Nick Diaz's interests in mind. Even if Nick Diaz is a guy they feel they can make money off of, I don't. They don't like people that shout on the top of the mountain, hey, I'm going to do it my way, and there's nothing you can do about it. They want people to just, you know, close their eyes, duck their chin, and just walk in line and get in line with everyone else. So would a five-year suspension, would that void his contract with the UFC, or is he still under contract? <laughs> well, okay. the beauty is they get a contract <laughs> extension. So however long he's out for, whether it's due to injury or anything like that, the UFC just gets to extend that contract indefinitely. If you're not fighting, your contract gets put on hold. You get a nice little email from Tracy Long, and they say, uh, well, let us know when you can fight again, and we'll reinstate your contract. So uh, that's something that was brought up in our case and uh, will continue to be a, a driving point. And obviously, this is uh, information that's already been presented, so I'm not leaking anything here. But you can't have the ability to do that, to just keep somebody under wraps for however long you feel is necessary. Um, and that's exactly what they're doing. So I think that little things like this actually play a lot into our case. And uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens with him. But I don't think he's in the same position that Tom Brady was in. Obviously, he doesn't have the financial backing that Tom Brady had, and he certainly doesn't have the support uh, from his owner the way that Tom Brady had from his owner. Well, yeah, and he doesn't have a whole team behind him saying, well, if we don't get him back playing again, we could lose the Super Bowl. We, we really need him as a part of this. When it, After my last fight, when my entire face was shattered and I had surgery, I think uh, a month or so after my reconstructive surgery, I, I got a phone call. I saw it was UFC calling, and I was like, oh, I wonder what they want. They, maybe they're calling to see how my surgery went, see how I'm doing. I mean, I've got 13 screws in my face, and I continued to fight after my face was shattered. I, I made the referee stop the fight. I didn't quit on my stool. 
maybe they're just calling to check in on me. And instead, I answer the phone, and it's very dry. Uh, this call is just to let you know until the doctor clears you for fighting again and you start fighting again, your contract has been put on hold. Thank you very much, and they hang up the phone. It's, it's such a one-sided contract. It is in perpetuity, which really just blows me away every time Zufa's lawyers say, oh, no, these guys are free. They can do whatever they want. We don't own them. And then I'm like, seriously, I have one fight left on my contract. If, if anybody came up to me, offered me a billion dollars to fight for them, can't do it. I'm under lock and key with Zufa. Their contracts are never-ending. They're binding. You either so, so if KSW them or you die came, with it. If KSW came forward and said, hey, Nick, you know, we want to offer you a fight here in Poland for you know 200000 or whatever, a million bucks, uh, Zufa would have grounds to have an injunction against that? Yeah, he can't fight for anyone else. That's that's what we're battling right now is that the fighters are actually indentured servants. They can't go anywhere else. And so by giving the fighters rights that they could leave, imagine uh, in the fighting world where you got to renegotiate every single time you fought. So your your next appearance was completely predicated on how you did on the one before. Then you get in a bidding war. Nick Diaz, uh, the UFC is coming after him. Bellator is coming after him. World Series of Fighting because they know he's a huge draw, that's a capitalist society where they have to bid for the guy's work. So, because the UFC has like a working agreement with the Athletic Commission and they wouldn't put him on any other cards, they wouldn't put him on a card in Japan, they wouldn't put him on a card in England um, because they don't want to upset the Athletic Commission, but yet they still won't allow Nick to fight for an organization that's overseas, um, now, this is all speculation. The UFC, obviously, because they haven't released any type of a statement, hasn't come forward and said that they would stop that. But that's more than likely what would happen. Yeah, they're not going to allow him to fight anywhere else. And further, he could face uh, more penalties from the Nevada State Athletic Commission. I think his fine was $165,000. Right. If he decides that he wants to go and fight uh, during that suspension... Uh, I think they have legal ground to, to find him more or to, per, to increase the ban. So, you know, if he goes, aside from moving to Russia and deciding to fight locally there for the rest of his career, he's going to face penalties with an extension of his, uh, his five-year deal or, or, at the very least, more, more in fines as well. Yeah, the UFC generally abides by whatever Nevada State Athletic Commission says because they don't want to upset them. I had to move inside. My battery is dying. Battery to your phone or to your laptop? My laptop. You Maybe you should get a better laptop. Maybe you should shut your mouth. Maybe I should go outside and show you what it looks like in sunny California since you don't know what a blue sky looks like. <laughs> now, is, are you aware of the color green? You know that we have so much water up here. I could go outside, turn on my faucet, and walk away. Nobody would hey, care. Nick Diaz knows about the color green, and so do <laughs> I, pal. All right? And there's plenty of it in this wonderful state. There's Even so much water in Oregon that their trees don't catch on fire, Kyle. There's so much water in Oregon that they send it to Northern California on a regular basis. And then all the Oregonians complain about it. Look at this. Look at what we got here. Because it's our water. Let's just keep talking so that way if anyone's watching this, they can't see Kyle's backyard. All that Shut life. your face. Nah, 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 I'm just going to ramble. Nah, nah, nah. Nah. 
So does does Nick really have any viable options other than hoping that the athletic commission overturns the uh, judgment? It's going to the courts. It's a court battle, as we've seen over and over again. Athletic commissions or or anyone in power of this when. They have complete power, unquestionable. Their word is law. They're not going to give up that power. And you see that it's a personal vendetta against Nick. The tests are ridiculous. This whole thing never should have been an issue. I I wonder why was he tested three times in one night? Yeah, that was really weird. But why is that? that? That sounds just insane to me. He was railroaded. That's the whole point. The whole point in the, the conspiracy theory argument is that obviously blood tests are greater than urine tests. Obviously, WADA is better than Fat Chris Christie's New Jersey Athletic Commission or whatever Quest Diagnostics they used out there. Obviously, WADA is known as the governing body throughout the world, right? So if two are passed through WADA blood testing and one has failed, and they don't test the B sample in the one mysteriously failed that was a urine test, you got to know fuckery's going on. you got to know that there's something, he, you know, it's, it's on purpose is my whole point. It's on purpose. It's not by mistake. It's not by luck of the draw. It's not by, oh, geez, man, this is a mistake. You know, why did they do this? You know, it's a, it's a really bad deal that, uh, you know, this, this bad luck that Nick Diaz have, has happened. No, no, no. It has nothing to do with luck. It has nothing to do with coincidence. It has nothing to do with um, anything other than it's on purpose. And that's the whole point. And that's why it's five years and not something more reasonable. It's, it's the whole thing stinks of uh, conspiracy because there's, there's fuckery going on. Yeah. Exactly. That's your opinion. Based on facts. Yes, it is. My opinion. Based on facts. Sure. All right. That's my so, opinion. But are you guys still going to watch the car tomorrow night? Uh, actually, I'll be, I'll be working at uh, this bikini bar that I work at on weekends, and then I'll watch the free prelims, and then... Um, on my friend's DVR who already bought legally, purchased the fight legally, and then recorded it legally onto his DVR. That's how I'll watch it the next day. All right, I so will go what to you... a bar, and I will watch it there at a bar that gives me free drinks. So no one is going to profit from me watching this fight. So which, uh, which bar are you going to? Why don't you give him a shout-out? Uh... Probably to the Blitz in the Pearl, downtown Portland. What up, Blitz? PDX? Word. So, uh, Cormier or Gustafson? Man, I I have always been amazed at, at Cormier, how he just... he When he fought John Jones, and I've said this before, I think that John literally fought down to Cormier's level because of the height difference, because of the reach difference. I don't think Gustafson will do that. He's not a wrestler. He's going to use his range and his footwork. I think Gustafson, I would give him the nod on this one. Kyle, what about your teammate? What do you say? Uh, you know, I being a taller guy and Gustafson, I, I compare myself to Gustafson in this fight. And obviously Gustafson's a much better fighter than I was. But Gustafson's taller than me, longer reach, and much better knockout power. He has incredible footwork. Uh, that said, when he fought John Jones, he defended, what, 10 of 11 takedowns? 
he was phenomenal at defending the takedown. But they're the same height. So anytime John wanted to change level, it was a little bit easier to spot. Cormier being the shorter guy, he does not he doesn't have to change level at all, especially when he shoots the single. All he has to do is reach for the leg. If he gets it, Gustafson's going down. If he doesn't get it, he can just throw a combo and come back out or, or work his way into the clinch, work for trips. I think there's too many options for Cormier. I think when you look at a height difference like that, you would say in boxing, oh, it's a clear-cut advantage to the taller guy. But considering the background of Cormier, how, how high-level wrestler he is, the fact that he's gotten much more comfortable on his feet with his stand-up game, I see him winning this in the third or fourth by TKO, uh, ground and pound, or a submission. You know, one of the things that I've always thought uh, was really kind of interesting about MMA is just because you're allowed to do it doesn't mean you should do it. So you'll see, you know, strikers all the time will attempt to kick a wrestler, and you know full well that should be the last thing that you do. But I think if, if Gustafson goes in there and thinks, like, I'm just going to box, I'm not going to use my legs at all, I'm not going to knee, I'm not going to clinch, I'm going to stay on the outside, I'm going to circle, I think this should be Gustafson's fight. But if he does anything other than that, like just like you said, Kyle, I think that this is Cormier all day, taking him down, sitting on top of him, grinding on him uh, without much problems. What about uh, Rashad and Bader? Ooh. It's it's tough because I like everybody fighting. I like Cormier. I interviewed him, Jesus, like four years ago. We sat down for like a half an hour when he was in that that Pride or not Pride Strike Force tournament, and he told me flat out, "I'm so glad I'm an alternate because these guys are beasts." Uh, and then he ends up winning the thing, and now he's the UFC champion. So with this fight too, both of these guys, I have huge respect for. I love their skills. I would say most likely uh, Bader's going to have a tough time. Uh, his uh, Rashad is just really quick, great wrestler, really heavy hitter, and every time he's gone up, guys with a wrestling base, he's done really well. You look at the way he just just destroyed uh, uh, Sonnen. I believe they fought. It, it's Rashad's just just an overall great fighter. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I, I got to say this. Ryan is a very, very close friend of mine. Obviously, we were on the show together, but, uh, you know, I love him and his wife, Daisy. Uh, I've known them for a long time. Uh, I, I have a tremendous respect for Rashad. And, you know, what Rashad has said is that anytime Ryan's had to step up in competition, he's choked in the past. And you could say that uh, in certain areas. Um, I don't think that he choked at all against Machida. I think Machida just caught him right on the button. I don't think he choked um, when he fought Phil Davis, but obviously that was a fight that people thought was boring. Um, both guys were tentative and respected a lot about each other. And, uh, you know, Rashad is a guy who's fought at the highest level. He's, he's been a title holder. He's fought guys. He's fought for the title many times. He's held the title. And he's an incredible wrestler. He's a gifted athlete. He's very fast, and he has knockout power as well. So if I put it on paper... I gotta say, Rashad. Um, even though I don't want to, but at the same time, all these guys are evolving every time. And just just based on the fact that you know, I I can say this, Rashad looks different. I don't know if you've seen him in training and everything. I don't know if it's the new drug testing or whatever. Rashad looks softer than normal. So that could be a factor because Bader's still hard. He still hits like a maniac. He's got knockout power in both hands, and um, 
I think if he realizes this is his time and he's 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 been put in uh, you know sticky situations against big name guys in the past, and you can say what you want to about those fights, but every time you step in there, you get better. Every time you learn from your mistakes, and he's still fighting. He didn't retire, so he's learned from those mistakes. He's put them in his in his uh in his piggy bank, and he's got that going for him as he goes into this fight with Rashad. And just because Rashad's a big name guy who's held the title before doesn't mean that Bader's going to go in there and perform like he had in the past against big name guys. I think Bader can surprise a lot of people in this fight. I like I like Bader in this a little bit more than Rashad, although uh, you know Rashad is phenomenal. But it's it's what nearly two years since he fought. Um, I think his last fight was Chael, and that was you know, quite some time ago. The only problem with Bader is that sometimes he forgets what he's supposed to be doing, and then he gets caught. Um, you know, he's had a couple of fights where he's looked absolutely incredible, and then all of a sudden, like uh, the Glover Teixeira fight, you know, he looked phenomenal. He looked phenomenal in that fight, um, and I think he he really wants to prove a point. So if if he can stay focused, I think he should be able to beat beat Rashad. But it should be a good fight. All right, fellas, anything else before we take off? Glad to be back. Uh, yeah, good to be back. I'm glad uh, I saw Kurt in uh, in Vegas as well at the old uh, Masters. I think he's like Master 8, which is uh, 60 and up. But, um, you know, he, he lost to Saul Ribeiro and, and, uh, in the opening round against a legend. So, But uh, no, nothing, uh, nothing to hang your head about. And the best news of all is, is Kurt's still cancer-free. So we <laughs> can say that. And, uh, you know, wear the badge proudly. You know, no, uh, no mastectomies and all that, even though you got some bitch tits going. Just wear your pink ribbon proudly this month, and uh, you're good to go. Well, thanks. It was good seeing you, too, and it was good seeing your dad as well. I'm sorry I didn't get a meat bear because I would love to have done that. Nate, anything? Well, you I'll, help you, I'll help you unload and unpack when you get it up to Oregon. Oh, that'll be nice. And you could put bear to work also. All right. <laughs> he should be big enough by then. You will be. I guarantee it. 85%. You know, all my kids have always been in the high 90th percentile, so I just want to point that out, that your kid's, you know, 15% deficient than my kids. Yeah. 5%. Are, do, do they share your same arithmetic? They're in the 97th, 98th percentile. So they're off, they're, what, 12 to 13% better than your kids. You said kid. 90th. You said 90th. In the 90th percentile, that's a bad window. Do not know how English works? Yeah. So one way to settle this. Let's get in a pissing contest about our son, whose son's better than whose. And let's let's be the parent of the year and push little Johnny just a little bit harder. If you ain't cheating, you ain't trying. I want to see those babies on some steroids from day one. Get them some testosterone. Get them some growth. Yeah, where can I find... Where can I find milk where the cows are still treated with uh, RHBST or whatever the heck really is? Recumbent bovine growth hormone. There we go. Where, where can I find that milk? That way it trickle, trickles through and uh, all of a sudden he's, he's my height. You know what, though? i got to call you on some BS. Kurt was telling me at the tournament before we go that his four-year-old son is up to his shoulder. <laughs> that's like... That's like the 130th percentile. That's like the, the the kid's got he's got he's got only a head below you at four years old. I'm telling you, the kid's a giant yeah. at four. He's a giant. He's a giant. 
He's got I'll a, take a picture a, and I'll send it to you. Yeah, standing next to each other, please, for the yeah. folks at home. <laughs> it will be. All right, I'll, I'll, you know what? I'll tweet it with the link to this podcast when you put it up. Cool. <laughs> Should be up in a couple hours. And you just wear a shirt that says cancer-free on it. That way everyone knows that you're still ticking. No, my shirt says sun's out, guns out. <laughs> Nate, anything you want to tell us? Uh, I, I too, am cancer-free. No one ever thinks about that. No one That's ever true. That's true. You are. Congratulations. I've been cancer-free now for 43 years. Thank you very much. Next year I'll be celebrating my 44th year of being cancer-free. It's it's been a struggle. I'll be honest with you. It, it, there was a few times where I thought for sure, I'm gonna get cancer. I'm not gonna make it. And I did. I, I gotta call bullshit there too. I think you have something burning, buried deep inside you that is just multiplying at a rapid rate, and there's no stopping it. And you're gonna discover it one day, and it's gonna be too late. Sorry for all the people out there who are have loved ones, or are currently dealing with cancer. This is no by no means a mockery of, of cancer. Kurt Shroud is a cancer survivor, and let's let's uh let's not belittle his accomplishments there. Well I think I think what you did do was an actual mockery of cancer. Oh. No. I said you're cancer free just in case people were wondering because you were a little cancer boy before. You were walking around with your big cancer cloud and all every one of your cells had to deal with it. Now it's all gone. You're good. And you're you're ready to live life and do a podcast with knuckleheads like us? Cancer cloud, like little uh, what Pigpen from uh, the Peanuts, just walking around <laughs> with cancer surrounding them. Uh-huh. <laughs> I like how you have to reference a cartoon that is well yeah. beyond either yeah. one of us. <laughs> I, I don't want, Nate is <laughs> as old as I am. <laughs> <laughs> Look, James yeah, Carman, don't track me into this. Master Eight Division. All right, I'm going to turn this off now because you guys are just getting mean. Please, please do. I got a life. Adios. I'll talk to you. Later. Goodbye, friend.